minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. For this reason, I would, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul was so very concerned about the Thessalonian church. Remember, he was there for just a short period of time. The book of Acts tells us that he was there teaching in their synagogues for three weeks. We're not exactly told how much more time he spent in Thessalonica, but most believe it was a relatively short period of time before he was forced out of that city of Thessalonica. And he and Timothy and Silas, with the rest of the Christians that were traveling with him, went down a short distance to the city of Berea. And it was there in Berea that Paul had opportunity to again address primarily the Jews in the synagogue in Berea and convince many there of the truth that he was pronouncing to them as well as everywhere else where he had already been. And they were more noble, the Bible tells us, than those in Thessalonica because they took what Paul said and went and searched the Scriptures to see if what he was saying was indeed so. That's the only thing we hear of the Berean church, by the way. There's no other mention other than the short mention in chapter 17 of the book of Acts regarding that city. But again, those who were in Thessalonica found out that Paul was in Berea, and several of the Jews that were against him went down to Berea to try to convince the Berean new church in Berea that what Paul was teaching was not truth and they gave him such a hard time that he was forced again to leave. And so he went from Berea down to Athens. Now Paul went by himself with a group of other disciples other than with Timothy and Silas who had been his primary companions in that second missionary journey up till that time. He left them in Berea. Apparently, we're not told exactly the sequence of events, but Paul went from Berea being escorted by other believers down to the city of Athens in what is then known as Achaia, the southern part of modern-day Greece. And he arrived in Athens and apparently sent by those same people that were with him sent them back to Berea to inform Timothy and Silas of his particular plans. He wanted them to come down to Athens where he would stay waiting there for them. It didn't quite turn out that way. As it turned out, though, Paul, instead of staying in Athens, went down a little further, took the city of Corinth. And it's there that finally Timothy and Silas caught up with Paul. And it was there also that Paul spent 18 months because God was with him. The Lord Jesus had spoken to him directly in Corinth. Do not fear, Paul, for I have many people in this city. So Paul did indeed continue to minister in Corinth, a very wicked city, by the way. People who were 
vile persons in the Roman Empire during that particular period of time were known as Corinthians because of their vileness. Corinthians were a very vile people. They were not only idol worshippers, but they were very much into all kinds of sexual depravity and other things that they would allow in the city of Corinth that wasn't even spoken of in other parts of the Roman Empire. It was there in Corinth, like you could go to Vegas today and, and take advantage of anything that you would like to choose to indulge in. Paul is there. When Timothy arrives with Silas, Paul decides that it would be a good idea for you to go back, Timothy, to see how the Thessalonians are doing. Timothy now has come back to Corinth and he's there presenting to Paul the good news. The Thessalonian church is alive and well. They've really adhered to all that you have spoken, Paul. They are growing wonderfully and powerfully by the Spirit of God, and there is a great move of the Spirit in that town. Paul was excited. Paul was really encouraged. And so he then in Corinth begins to pen this letter in response to the things that Timothy encouraged him with and take note of the fact that Paul is saying, I'm encouraged, but I want you all to be encouraged too. He says in verse 2, He sent Timothy, his brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to encourage the Thessalonian church. Establish and encourage. Now the word establish, if you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary or any of the other dictionaries, gives a general definition as being a truth that is beyond doubt, has been established if it is beyond doubt. Truth, beyond doubt. That's what established means. There are many different things that you can look at when you think of the word established, but that's the focus that Paul has with regard to his use of that word here. They have been established in the truth of God, and their faith demonstrates that they are indeed established in that truth. It is beyond their doubt that Jesus is the Savior and that they have been saved by faith in Him. And Paul had encouraged them to believe these things and they accepted what they had been told by Him and that is why they were growing. That is why they were benefiting from the wonderful promises that were given to them. Even though Paul was only there for a short period of time, he fed them the Word. tells us elsewhere that he fed them day and night while he was there. He was nonstop proclaiming the Gospel message. All all the various doctrines that the Thessalonians were already familiar with. Amazing amount of information that Paul must have conveyed to them in that very, very short period of time. And Paul is saying, I want to make sure that you remain established in your faith. And I want to make sure that you are encouraged because you have been established even in the midst of all the trouble that might be coming your way. They're established but they need to be encouraged. Why? Because there was indeed a great deal of affliction. Trouble was brewing. There were many who were opposed, both Jew and Gentile alike, to what was going on in this fledgling church of the Thessalonians. 
He says, I want you to be encouraged in spite of the fact that you're going through such difficult times. And he points out the fact that he had already been through so many very difficult times as an example to them that they can press on to the high mark of the calling of God in the fact that they saw in him this determination that he would, no matter what happens to him, continue to proclaim the Word of God, the truth that God had spoken to him directly to proclaim. Remember, Paul was appointed by Jesus when he came to Paul on that road to Damascus and he told Paul that when you are going out in my name, you will indeed suffer affliction. Paul was warned by the Lord Jesus there would be times when he would be persecuted. There would be times when he would suffer greatly on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul arrived in Damascus, the Lord spoke to one of the disciples there. And he said, Ananias, I want you to invite Paul to become a part of what is going on in Damascus. And he responded by saying, Lord, don't you know what this guy's been doing? He's been persecuting the church. What's going on here? I don't understand. And Jesus' response to him was, he is a servant of mine. And I, will, I have shown him or will show him through much affliction that he will proclaim the gospel message. And certainly that was Paul's experience. Remember in Philippi, he was beaten along with Silas and put in prison. He was thrown out of Thessalonica. He apparently had to leave Berea sooner than he had intended. When he got to Athens, it didn't go very well with him. Only a few believed what he was saying. Everybody thought else that he was some kind of lunatic. He got to Corinth, and in Corinth, the Lord had to say, don't be fearful, Paul, I'm there with you, and I have many people in this city. Paul had been subjected to a whole lot in his first missionary journey, and now in his second missionary journey, and now he's in the the middle of a city that is totally depraved, total depravity something that we're not perhaps accustomed to yet. But I think as you look around, as you hear what is going on within our own cities and state and governments, not only in this state but others in the federal government, things are going on in our school systems, in our military. We're in deep, deep trouble. And people of God, they don't want you around They want to continue in their depravity. They want to get further and further away from God. And you're in their way. So don't you wonder if perhaps there may come a day when we too will be experiencing that kind of persecution? It's a good possibility, I believe, and it's perhaps closer to reality than we realize. I like to remind myself that it can be very likely that it soon will come upon all of us. And are we prepared for that? Are we willing to suffer for that name of Jesus that we proclaim now when it's so easy for us to do so? Well, that's what was going on in Thessalonica. It was not easy. And Paul is there to say, you're established in your faith and I'm so greatly proud of you, but I want you to understand that you must be willing to endure it. And that's what he says 
Next, in verse 6, he says, Now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. That's a condition. The words, if you, a phrase that happens throughout the Word of God. If you continue to do this, then I, God, will do this. If you do this, then I, God, will do this. Do you understand that what God has been saying throughout His Word is that there is a condition upon which He is going to act in your favor. And that condition is if you continue, if you trust, if you are willing to do what most of us wouldn't even want to consider doing, but for the fact that we're doing it for Him. And when we're willing to do things for Him, then He's willing to say, you're my child. And you're going to be continually blessed by God in spite of those difficulties, in spite of those challenges, in spite of those things that you have to endure. But endure it for Christ's sake, and you will be glorifying your Father in heaven. So there's a need for us to be established. I believe that that comes only from knowing the Word of God, from living it out on a daily basis, for studying His Word and encouraging others to do so believing what God has spoken and being encouraged by those things that God has spoken. I want to share with you some of the thoughts that Paul gives to us in another letter. It's found in the book of Ephesians. I'd like you to turn there in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians and let's take a look at three things that Paul encourages the Ephesian church to be mindful of and I believe it's necessary for us as well in this present hour. Chapter 2, the book of Ephesians, Verse 6, Paul says simply, simply there, He's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to take note of the fact that, first of all, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We're seated here in this room. Yes, that's a fact, but that's positional. We're also seated in heavenly places. That's the promise that we have, seated in heavenly places. And why are we seated in heavenly places? So that we might receive the wonderful blessings that are ours. It tells us in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. If we are in Christ, and I believe that if you have believed in what Christ has done for you, you've received the salvation that He alone has to offer by faith in what He has done on the cross in forgiving you of your sins, then you are in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. All things are passed away. All things are made new. You are an overcomer because you have believed in what Christ has accomplished. He is an overcomer, and in His having overcome, He has made it so that you and I also can and should be, must be overcomers in this lost and dark world in which we live. Paul says we're seated with Him in heavenly places. We have received multitude benefits, a multitude of benefits. The benefit of an inheritance, 
as children of God Almighty. That is one great benefit that we have. We have the benefit of serving Him, of knowing that He has put His Holy Spirit within us, that we might be established in our faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, seated with Him together, all of us, in Christ. That is what Paul promised the Ephesian church and us. Read it again. He's raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Next, he goes on to talk about the fact that because we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we also can walk in a way that will please God. He says in verse 10 of chapter 2, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are we walking in? In good works. How do we do good works? He does the good works through us, in us. It's He who does the work. It tells us very clearly we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is imperative that we understand that faith in God is not exclusive, mutually exclusive to works for God. They are both necessary. If you have faith in God, you will do good works. And your works isn't going to save you. You're already saved by faith. But your works demonstrate the salvation that has been wrought in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, again, and I repeat the verse that I love so much in Second Corinthians, uh, Second Ephesians. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2. There's only one Ephesians book. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which says, It is by faith that you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you're saved not by works, but by faith. But it's works that prove your faith. And you are told here in Ephesians that you are to walk in those works that you are doing for the glory of God. So you're to be mindful of the fact that we're seated in heavenly places and we're walking by faith in the good works that God has ordained for us to do. And then lastly, in chapter 6 of the same book, Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are to stand. So we're to sit, we're to walk, we're to stand in Christ. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking all the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful, to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul is saying here, put on the whole armor of God and stand. When you're wearing the armor of God, you are protected. There is nothing the enemy can do to you 
that will harm you. You are able to stand against all the wiles of the enemy. You have the shield of faith that you hold before you. And if you are doing what you are instructed in the Word of God, any of those fiery darts that he might send your way are going to be quenched by that shield of faith. The sword of the Spirit that you hold in your hand is demonstrating to that enemy of yours and mine that you know his Word and you are standing strong in the midst of the battle that may be before you, knowing that the battle belongs to Him. And you are victorious. There is victory in Jesus. There is wonderful victory in Him. But it's not your victory or mine. It's His victory. He has won. He has established you. If you are willing to do what we're describing here this morning to you, standing on behalf of your Lord by faith, walking in the good works that He has called you to do, and being seated, knowing that you are seated in His presence in heavenly places, receiving the great benefits that He has for all who believe. That is what Paul is referring to in this passage, and that is what we are to be encouraged by. We're established in these things if we know these to be true in our lives. That's foundational. And if we are established in these things, then we should all of us be encouraged no matter what happens to us, no matter what trouble may come in our direction. Oh, beloved, be established in your faith and be encouraged by the truth of God's Word that He is in control. And then endure whatever might come your way as a result of that having been established and that fact that you are encouraged in the truth of God's Word that gives you this promise of great help whenever you have a need for it. From whence cometh my help, the psalmist says. My help comes from the Lord. That's true for all of us today. So you can encourage one another with these words. You are established, you are encouraged, and you are enduring if you believe what you have learned through His Word. And lastly, we want to make sure that we understand that we have an expectant hope, a great expectation that we have because we are in Christ. Verse 9 of chapter 3 in 1 Thessalonians continues to say, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. By the way, as a side note, Paul has said, I want to be going back to Thessalonica to visit with you again. I want to return there and see your face. I want to be able to worship the Lord together with you. Do you realize it took some five years before Paul was actually able to do that? He continued on from Corinth in his second missionary journey, did not go back to Thessalonica as he had hoped, and he went on from there back to his originating place in Antioch, in Syria, Antioch. It wasn't until his third missionary journey that he revisited some of those same churches and then finally went to Thessalonica on that third missionary journey some five years later. But Paul's desire was to visit with them, to see them face to face. He didn't give up on that. And neither should we. You know, sometimes we expect God to do things right away, don't we? Don't we? Lord, I need this now. But if it doesn't come, do you get discouraged? Do you get impatient? 
Do you find yourself reminding God, Lord, this is your word. Don't you remember what you said? Do you know that your ways are not his ways? Your thoughts are not his thoughts? Why would we think that God has to be on our timetable? We're not going to be successful if we think that is necessary. It's just the opposite. We're on his timetable. It's according to his plan and his purpose. And God will, in his time, do what he wants to have done in each of us. We need to rest in that. We need to be certain that in spite of the fact that, well, I didn't get the answer to that prayer, it's not done yet. You just keep on praying. If it's in the will of God, if you know it's according to His Word, an example would simply be this. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. So keep on praying for your family members. Keep on praying for your neighbors, your fellow workers. Keep on praying for Governor Mills and the legislators that are opposed to those things that you want to see done. Keep on praying for the lost souls that you are aware of because it's not God's will that any of them should perish. And who knows, God only knows, that perhaps many will turn to Him in those last hours. However long it may take, persist. Like the persistent widow in the story that Jesus gave. She kept on going back and back and back again to the judge, who wasn't, by the way, a very good judge, but he finally gave in to her because of her persistence. Be persistent in your questioning, in your requesting those things that you believe to be right according to God's Word. And if He shows you in His Word that it's not right, then just let it be no and move on. But don't give up if you don't hear yet. I don't want that to be the case in any of the prayers that I lift up to the Lord. I remind myself when I pray, and I hope that you will do too, Lord, I believe this to be your will. So if it's not happened yet, I believe it's going to be done according to your will and in your time. That's what Paul was saying here. And he says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. It didn't happen again for almost five years. And then he says in verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Abound in love. Notice that he asks that the Lord would make them increase and abound in love. In other words, Paul is acknowledging that the love that they have for one another is real. It's convincing. It is wonderful to see that it is happening. And then he tells them, get more. Love more. Work harder at it. He's encouraging them to press on and to do everything in their power to achieve great things for God in love. Love one another as Christ loves you. I've not attained to that. Paul said, I have not attained to that. But he also said, but I press on to that wonderful high calling of the Word of God in my life. The high calling of God in my life, in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. Press on to that which He has called you to. Run the race 
so as to win. Fight the good fight. Don't give up. Be encouraged. But endure to the end. And have this great expectation that he speaks of lastly in this wonderful chapter. He says in verse 12 again, Abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish you, establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Expectation. Christ is coming again. Again, this letter to the Thessalonians, five chapters. Each of the five chapters ends with an exhortation to the church to have a great expectation, that blessed hope that Christ is coming again. He is on the way. I believe He will return return soon. I believe that there is no reason for us to doubt that in our lifetime, perhaps. Perhaps today. Perhaps tomorrow. Perhaps ten years from now. I hope he doesn't wait that long. There may be some who are saying, oh, I hope he doesn't come today because I'm really in the midst of something I shouldn't be involved with. And if he came today, I would be ashamed having to face him. Well, why do you stay there if that's the case? If you know that, get out of that situation and turn to God from serving the idols of your life. Because we should have an expectation of his return. And it should be such an expectation that it causes us to want to do what is right. That it would cause us to want to be right with Him no matter what we're having to deal with in our lives. Let it be that our expectation of His return will drive us to Him and away from sin. There are some who don't think that it's necessary to have that kind of expectation that Christ could return any time. Some believe that, well, he'll probably not come until after the tribulation is over. Some don't believe that he's coming at all, that the church will establish the kingdom. There's nothing in the Word of God that encourages that. And how could we comfort one another with these words if it was true that we had to go through that which is the wrath of God upon a Christ-rejecting world? It does not make any sense. We don't have it all together. We don't have all the answers. But I do know this. What I am firmly convinced of, and I hope that you are too, is that He could return any time. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We're warned against that. Peter talked about that as well as Paul, saying there are those who will come in the last days who will say, where is the coming of Christ? He hasn't shown up yet. It's been 2,000 years Listen, Peter says, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day with the Lord. And he is not slack as men count slackness. It's on his time schedule. It's on his plan. And we can't devise the plan for him. It's already been devised by him since the world began. He knows what's going on in this world. He knows how to control things. And he is in control of all things. He knows that what's going on in North Korea and China, Taiwan, in Iran, Iraq, Syria, in Yemen, in Sudan, in Libya, in Turkey, in Russia, in Ukraine, all of those things, he's very much aware. He put everybody that's in control of those nations in control. 
It's by His choice that that is what is supposed to happen in these last days. After all, He had said, there will be wars and rumors of wars, and these are the beginning of sorrows. Keep looking up, He said. Your redemption draws nigh. Keep looking up. When you see these things to come, it's around the corner. When you see the fig tree blossom, the time is near. All of these signs that He gave to us, the pestilence, famine, earthquakes, all of those things, happening with greater frequency and greater intensity in these last days. These are signs that are given to us. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 talks about a war that's going to take place. It has never yet happened, but it will happen in the future. Ezekiel speaks of countries that were in existence then by the names that he knew in that day. Gog and Magog are references to a nation that is north of Israel, a leader of that nation, and, and the people that follow him. Gog and Magog. There is Togarma, that's Turkey. There is Persia, that's Iran. There is Kush and Put, that's Sudan and Libya. They all are coming together in these last days in an organized effort to do something that no nation has ever done before. Annihilate the nation of Israel. They will not succeed. You have an expectant hope in the promises of God, do you not? You must realize that they will not be successful in their effort to destroy the people of God because God has a plan for His people. And you and I know from the Word of God, we're encouraged by the Word of God. We are established in His Word to know what is coming. And we can proclaim that which is coming to anyone who is willing to hear. And there is time that is running out. But while there is time, while there is opportunity, let us redeem the time. Let us shine the light of Christ in this dark and dreadful world in which we live. We need to be established in our faith. We need to be encouraged to continue. We need to endure in spite of the difficulties because we have a great expectation, a blessed hope, and it's right around the corner, friends. He is coming and He is coming, it tells us here, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Now that's something that may be somewhat confusing because He's actually not coming with His saints, we're told. He's coming for His saints. That's you and me. And yes, both are true, by the way. He's coming for His saints, and He will be also coming with His saints. Now, it takes a little bit of digging to find out what's exactly Paul referring to here. Is it referring to the fact that he's coming with angels? Well, there's some who believe that because the word saints is holy ones in the original Greek. It doesn't necessarily refer to people. It could refer to angels. But Paul almost always refers to angels as angels. Angelos in the Greek, that's the word. And he uses that throughout the text of most of his letters. He's talking about, I believe here, people. But if he's coming with us, is he talking about the end of the tribulation when we believe he will be coming with us from heaven to establish his kingdom? That's not what he's talking about either here because he's talking about the fact that we are anticipating that expectation that is, that is established in our hearts in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to refer to the rapture of the church, the taking away of the saints. 
So if he's taking us out of the church, how can he then be coming with the church? Well, that's explained in the next chapter. In chapter 4, verse 14. We'll get there next week, but let me give you a heads up on that. Verse 14 of chapter 4 says this, For we believe, or if we believe, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. How many saints are you all familiar with who have gone on before you, who have died in faith, believing in Christ Jesus? They're no longer here with us. When we die, our bodies go in the grave and our souls go to be with Him. They who have passed on already are in His presence. Their souls are in heaven with Him. That's the promise of God's Word. It's very clear. Don't you ever think that there is no other way around it. When you die, if you die before His rapturing of the church, you will come with Him and you then, coming in the clouds, will be raised up, your bodies will be raised up to be united with your souls in glorified state. That hasn't yet happened to those who have gone on before us. Their souls are in heaven waiting for that time and when He's going to come, He's going to come with them and their bodies will be raised up and then after that, graves having been opened like He explains in that passage that we've looked at just briefly just now, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, and there we shall ever be with the Lord. That's what Paul is talking about here in the end of chapter 3, which he expounds upon in chapter 4, which we will again get to next week. He is coming with all his saints, everyone that you know, my good friend Ralph, my dear friend Neil, my great friend and pastor Earl, and so many others. They went on before me. My brother Roland and Richard, they went on before me, but I know them coming and I will see them again. They're coming, their souls are there in the presence of the Lord. They're coming with him when he comes to rapture his church and take home his bride and glorify every one of us together. That's a great promise. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what Paul emphasizes at the end of every one of these first Thessalonians chapters that we're looking at today and in the days ahead. Be mindful of that. Be established in the truths of God's Word. Be encouraged by those truths and endure to the end, however long it may take. And then, lastly, expect that these things that you believe are going to come to pass, because they will. It's His plan. It's His way.